Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. In 2019, uh, New York Times columnist Nicholas Kristof did a series that he called Occasional Conversations with a Christian. A series was published in the New York Times, and perhaps you uh, know his name, and his, name, his uh, articles are pretty prominent in the New York Times. And the series was about him interviewing a number of religious leaders and asking them to explain Christianity. Uh, one of the people that he met with was you. Theological Seminary President Serene Jones. And in his conversation with Serene Jones, the president of the Theological Seminary, it became pretty evident that she had a pretty high level of skepticism that there really was anything like an all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful kind of God. When it came to the thing, something like the virgin birth of Jesus, she felt that was, quote, a bizarre idea. When it came to Jesus' death on a cross on Good Friday, and what we often call substitutionary atonement, meaning that Jesus' death takes on himself our sin and our darkness and our evil, uh, she really did, was not able to connect with that either. The very first question that Nicholas Kristoff asked her was whether or not she believed Jesus actually rose from the dead. Here's what she said, quote, those who claim to know whether or not it happened are kidding themselves. Again, this is a seminary president. But the empty tomb symbolizes that the ultimate love in our lives cannot be crucified and killed. She went on to say, quote, the message of Easter is that love is stronger than life or death. That's a much more awesome claim than that they put Jesus in the tomb and three days later he wasn't there. What if tomorrow someone found the body of Jesus still in the tomb? Would that then mean that Christianity was a lie? Those are her words asking that question. And without the least bit of condescension or speaking negatively about her, all I could say was, if Jesus' body were found in the tomb, that would absolutely mean that we would completely abandon what we're talking about here this morning. If Jesus really still is in the tomb, if if his body were found... It would absolutely 100% mean that what we're doing right now is 100% a waste. So the stakes of Jesus' resurrection, they're pretty sky high. We're not going to get into all the evidences for that this morning. There are certainly plenty of them, and we could articulate that. But what we are going to look at is the the life-changing necessity and the life-changing importance that Jesus' actual resurrection brings to us. That it's real. It's actual. It actually happened. Just a few preliminary things before we get into that. Uh, I'm going to read... 
John chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 again, and just kind of make some preliminary comments uh, from this couple verses and about the chapter. John 21 and 2 says this, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, let me just stop there for a second. Mary Magdalene, that's primarily who John is going to be focusing on in his account. When he says Mary Magdalene, he's actually pointing out that this woman is from Magdala. Magdalene is not her last name. He names her and he calls her Mary Magdalene because she is from the town of Magdala. And if John wants his listeners to know, hey, if anybody wants to check this out, if anybody wants to check up on my story, go to Magdala. It's the Mary there who I'm talking about. John was an eyewitness of this stuff. He says it's real. This is what he's seen. And so it's important important for him to say it's Mary Magdalene. She went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Just a couple of things. Number one, John's account really is focused only on Mary Magdalene. Uh, Some people would say like, well, that's odd because in Mark chapter 16 and in the other gospels, multiple women are named in actually coming to the tomb. John actually just records one. Fascinatingly enough, John is very particular in his details. So one thing he doesn't include, and even though he doesn't include the names of the other women, he does mention that when Mary Magdalene goes back to the disciples, here's what she says. Mary Magdalene says this to the other disciples, and we don't know where they have put him. She actually references we. She's with other ladies. Also, interesting, John puts this account at dark. We're going to talk about that in a little bit later. Mark says it was actually just at that sunrise. And so what's happening there? Well, on Good Friday, the body had to be buried and taken care of very quickly before sundown, which is when the Jewish Sabbath happened. It all happened, it all needed to happen before the Sabbath officially began. So most likely, they didn't really actually finish what they were doing. That's why the women are returning to the tomb early on Sunday morning in the first place, because they kind of did a rough job on Friday night because they had to get it done quickly. And now they're going to kind of rewind and go back and do it the right way. And so maybe Mary Magdalene had woken up even earlier while it was dark, started her journey of preparing the spices, preparing for the journey to the tomb because she wanted to get there early. All of those things are very sort of easily understandable. One last thing, throughout this series, we've been pointing out that John often goes back to the Old Testament, particularly the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. And we often say here at Southridge, the Bible is not, is not a series of simply inspirational stories. It's not stories that we draw moral lessons from. Instead, it's this account of God, how God is working and how he's interacting with humanity. And here's an interesting point. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 say this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. A direct reference to Genesis 1.1 that says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Fascinatingly enough, John begins his gospel with the words in the beginning, which are actually the Hebrew name of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. The Hebrew books of the Bible were actually named in Hebrew for the first few words of the actual book. 
And so the actual book of Genesis in Hebrew was named in the beginning, and that's how exactly John begins his gospel. Well, let's kind of take a journey. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at Easter's darkness. Uh, We're going to look at Easter's voice, and then we're going to look at Easter's breath. First, Easter's darkness. Alluded to this already in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Again, John is fascinatingly focused on details. Seven times he mentions in his gospel the idea of night. In John chapter 3, he says, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. In John chapter 13, when Judas betrays Jesus, it says, Judas went out and it was night. Next week in John chapter 21, it says the disciples were out at night fishing all night and they caught nothing. Darkness is the same thing. Dark or darkness is mentioned seven times in John's gospel. He points this out. In fact, earlier on in John chapter 1 verse 5, he says, the light shines in the darkness and darkness has not overcome it. That's verse 5 of John chapter 1, mirroring Genesis chapter 1 as well, which simply mentions, now the earth was formless and empty, dark was over the surface of the deep, darkness was over the surface of the deep. John is making a clear connection here between the account that he's giving and something that happens in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. He mentions in verse 1, Mary came early on the first day of the week while it was dark. And it seems what John is probably driving at here is, yes, it was dark because it was early in the morning, but there was also a larger darkness of Mary's soul and spirit that accompanied her. We know from Luke's gospel that Mary was one of several women who, this is what Luke says, these women were helping to support the disciples out of their own means. They were helping to support Jesus out of their own means. Mary Magdalene had followed Jesus for quite a while. She had invested in this. She had supported Jesus financially. She was at the foot of the cross when Jesus underwent the horror of crucifixion on Good Friday. She was coming to anoint the body, to put spices on it. The last thing in her mind that Jesus was that Jesus would be alive. And friends, she was coming in darkness of soul and spirit. You ever been there? You ever been in a space where you kind of look at circumstances around you, you kind of know the truth about who God is. And what you say is, this just isn't adding up. This doesn't make sense. It's just not what I expected. We all have those moments of darkness of the soul. Maybe you've engaged with it for many years. You're like, you know what? It just doesn't seem to connect to where my life is. You know, I've heard these stories about God's power and who he is. And it just doesn't add up to me. Maybe you've poured your heart out in prayer 
for a loved one to become well during an illness. Maybe you poured your heart out and you put yourself out there and you prayed to the God of heaven that some kind of diagnosis would actually be positive. Instead, it was the worst case scenario. And you have a darkness of soul and you say, if that's the way it is, I just don't get it. Maybe for some of you, it took a lot of courage to walk through those doors because you've been in a church before and you swore at one point in your life, you would never step foot in a church again. Maybe you've interacted with somebody who claimed the name of Jesus. And to you, they didn't look anything like the Jesus that you had heard of. You said, if that's the way it is, like, there's no way. I'm not going back. Maybe some of you grew up in a religious environment and you saw things behind the scenes or some things were possibly done to you even. And you're like, you know what? I ain't going back to that. Doesn't seem like Mary is the only one who has darkness of soul. I don't want to read too much into this, but Nicodemus, or I'm sorry, Thomas, strangely enough, isn't with the disciples when Jesus comes to them on Sunday night. The disciples are gathered together. Thomas isn't there. Jesus appears to them. The disciples tell Thomas, hey, Jesus showed up. Here's Thomas's words. Unless I put my finger in those nail prints, Unless I put my hand in his side, and this is a quote directly from John, verse 25, I will not believe. I don't know about you. That just feels like the words of somebody who's been burned. I put myself out there. I climbed out on a limb, and I will not do that again and have the limb sawed off. It's Thomas's words. I will not believe. Friends, listen. There's darkness of soul. I've been a follower of Jesus many years, and there's things that I often don't understand. And yet in the grand scheme of things, here's what I can say. The horror and tragedy of Good Friday and the silence of Saturday did not mean that God was absent. Here's what I want you to hear. Difficult does not indicate God's abandonment. Silence does not indicate God's absence. Darkness does not indicate God's desertion. Darkness does not mean God's plan is derailed. And some of you may just need to be encouraged by that this morning. Maybe what you see in the world, the evil. Maybe the response to some prayers that you've prayed. Maybe for a loved one or a spouse or a child or a sibling, you've poured your heart out before God to them and you didn't get what you thought would be coming. All I can say is this, darkness is not a stranger to those who follow Jesus. Darkness is not a stranger to the Bible. 
Darkness does not mean that God has deserted you. Darkness does not mean that his plan is derailed. Every person would have said on Friday, God's plan is derailed with the silence of Saturday, the land in between Good Friday and Easter. Everyone would have said, God is nowhere. And yet God shows up in Mary's darkness. So let me just encourage you. Man, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what space that you're in. But every one of us, for different moments, for different years, for maybe for decades, I don't know, have darkness of soul. And what I want you to know is, God, darkness does not mean that God has abandoned you. Darkness does not mean that God's plan is derailed. Darkness does not mean that God is defeated. It doesn't mean that. Secondly, that's Easter's darkness. Secondly, Easter's voice. Mary's weeping outside the tomb, and she sees some angels there who ask her what she's looking for. Eventually, a voice asks her that question as well. Mary thinks it's the gardener. Verse 15, he asks her, this is actually Jesus talking, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary is there by the tomb and the voice that she hears is the voice of Jesus. Mary. Mary, Mary. You know, the last time Mary had heard that voice was when she was at the cross on Good Friday. And that voice had said then, it is finished. And here's the deal with that. Back in Luke chapter 8, those verses I mentioned earlier on. Luke chapter 8, when he mentions Mary Magdalene's name as one who personally, financially helped to support the ministry of Jesus, Luke actually includes this detail about Mary. It says this, these are Luke's words in Luke 8, and some women were with Jesus, Mary called Magdalene, and then he says this, this little parenthetical, from whom seven demons had been cast out. That's kind of weird, maybe wild to us. And we don't really know the full scope of what that means. The best as we can tell that demons were originally God's created angels who then rebelled against him and kind of joined the forces of darkness in opposition to God. It's best we can tell about what the demonic world is. But one thing that we do know is that the spiritual world does not simply pretend. There are real forces of darkness there's the real force of light and who God is. But Luke makes the point that Mary Magdalene had been actually been overcome by seven demons, which again, I don't know the full scope of what that means from other accounts in the gospels as to others who are demonically oppressed. Their lives went into a spiral of self-destruction. And so my sense is Mary understood the stakes of what was happening here. Her own life had gone in and spiraled down into the destructive nature of the forces of darkness. And here's the deal, friends. If Jesus was dead, 
Mary had no idea what would happen next. It was Jesus' power that had cast those demons out of her. It was his voice that had released her. And it was Jesus' voice on Good Friday that said, it is finished. And when he said, it is finished, don't mistake what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, I am finished. Jesus did not say, I quit. Jesus said, it is finished. What is the it? The it is at that moment, Jesus took the forces of darkness. He took the power of evil. He placed that on himself. He was obedient to his father. He he went to the cross. He placed those powers on himself. He took the curse of sin and evil on his shoulders, on his crucified body. He became separated from the father in heaven. And he said, that is finished. Satan's reign is finished. The reign of sin is finished. It's conquered. Colossians 1.15 says this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Listen, friends, we're singing a couple songs this morning that relate to the second time that Jesus comes. And the second time that Jesus comes, evil will be wiped away. But at the cross, when Jesus said, it is finished, it meant the powers of darkness are defeated. Mary hung on to that. Listen, friends, for Mary, that was not just a pretend deal. Mary knew what it was like to have her life traumatized by the destructive forces of evil. And it was Jesus, the voice who spoke to her and said, Mary, that was the same voice who said it is finished. It's the same voice who casted evil and darkness and the demonic forces out of her. By the way, notice as well that this happens in a tomb. The guard, the uh, tomb is, John says in 1941, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. When Jesus comes to approach Mary, she thinks it's the gardener. And so once again, John is bringing us back to the beginning of Genesis. Let me just kind of give you a couple summary points of this. In the first garden, there was separation In this garden, there's reconciliation. In the first garden, relationship is severed. In this garden, relationship is restored. In the first garden, Adam and Eve laid claim to their lives. In this garden stood the one who laid his life down. In the first garden, Adam and Eve sought to find life in themselves. In this garden stood the one through whom whom others would have life. In the first garden, Adam and Eve sought life through personal autonomy. In this garden stood the one who released his autonomy and gave his life. In the first garden, Adam and Eve tried to find life by rejecting the Father. In this garden stood the one who gave his life in submission to the Father. In the first garden, the gardeners, Adam and Eve, had failed the test of obedience. In this garden stood the gardener who had submitted himself in obedience to the Father. In the first garden, the gardeners, Adam and Eve, were banished out of the garden. In this garden, Mary is reunited with the resurrected gardener who brings life back into the garden. 
In the first garden, the enemy of death was unleashed and death reigned. In this garden, the Lord of life was unleashed and life conquered. Look, I don't know where you are, but all I can say is this. Evil is not pretend. Darkness is not pretend. And it takes a real-life crucifixion of Jesus Christ and a real-life resurrection for darkness to be defeated. Colossians 1.15, or I'm sorry, Colossians 1.13 and 14 say this, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of the son he loves. And so maybe your action step is to actually listen to that voice that is finished and come before the God of the universe and say, yes, I fall far short of your glory. And I need the it is finished of Calvary. The it is finished where Jesus places the evil and sin on himself so that I can stand in relationship with the Father in heaven. And maybe that's your call this morning. It's the voice of Easter. Easter's darkness, Easter's voice. Lastly, Easter's breath. On the first day of the week, this is verse 19 of John 20. On the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, listen to this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. In other words, as you proclaim that sins can be forgiven, as people embrace that, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. In other words, if people reject that message of, the, of forgiveness that you teach in my name, they're not forgiven. Jesus stands among them. He breathes on them before he sends them out. Again, it goes back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God creates humanity, here's what it says. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man becomes a living being. When Jesus breathes on his disciples, he sent them my new creation. The presence of my Holy Spirit is now with you. Eventually, Pentecost would come and officially God's spirit would come and indwell all believers for all time. But Jesus is breathing on his followers and he's saying, I'm breathing my new life into you. Your lives are now supposed to be characterized by my presence. Earlier in John 14 and 16, Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. And the reason I'm leaving that with you, the way that I'm leaving that with you is my Holy Spirit is going to be my power at work in your life. I'm going to empower you to live lives of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. 
Live as I lived. On Thursday night, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He even washed the feet of the one who betrayed him, the person of Judas. So he breathes on them and says, I'm sending you out, and you're to love those who are unlovely. You're to be kind to those who are unkind to you. You're to be my representatives in the world. You're to carry my life as a light into the world, and you're going to be able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to remind you that you're my son, you're my daughter. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to to give you a sense of conviction and enable you to see the needs in the world. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to live my life in the world into which I'm sending you. And that's exactly who Jesus is saying right now. And his Holy Spirit indwells you if you're his follower. Again, some of you may need to transition from being children of darkness to children of light through embracing Jesus as Savior. By embracing the voice that said, it is finished, and becoming God's sons and daughters, becoming new creations in him. Some of you may have followed Jesus for years. You need a fresh awareness that you are not alone, that you're not self-empowered, but God's Holy Spirit empowers you. He is present in you, that your presence in the world is an indication of God's presence in the world. You know, just a closing story to summarize some things. The BBC a number of years ago had an article that talked about several females, girls, in India. If you're familiar with the country of India, ever since 1947, every decade, there's been a widening gap in terms of the number of girls in proportion to the numbers of boys who are born. Uh, Women, girls in India are often seen as economic liabilities. And so their lives are often taken before birth. And in some parts, and especially maybe the remoter areas, parents would sometimes name their baby girl Nakushi. If they were really desiring a boy, and instead they had a girl, if they named the child Nakushi, It would sort of be kind of a good luck charm that maybe their next child would actually be a boy. The tragic thing about the name Nakushi is that the name actually literally means unwanted. Unwanted. And so these girls would go up literally with their name saying that they were unwanted. A number of years ago, the government permitted for sort of a kind of a mass time where some girls could change their name. That happened in one particular district in India, and 285 girls, ages 1 through 20, came to change their name from Nakushi, meaning unwanted. Unwanted. 
one gal changed her name from Nakushi to Ashmita, meaning in Hindi, very tough. Another girl named Nakushi says this, I know people will still call me Nakushi. I want to give them happiness by saying my new name is Kiran, meaning ray or ray of light or beam of light. They moved from having the identity of being unwanted. So now I want to have the identity of being a ray of light, a beam of light, of being someone who's strong and courageous. John closes his chapter in John chapter 20 with these words that you're about to hear next. And he kind of hands it over to you. He says, here's the account of Jesus' resurrection. Now listen to these words. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says, look, what I wrote is so that you believe. He hands it off to you. So now, it's your moment. Let's take a moment. I'm going to lead you in some thoughts. You can close your eyes if you like. You can look at the cross behind me. This is your moment. Maybe you have the moment of darkness. You kind of feel the whole thing is derailed. You've been to church deal and I don't know, it's just, you've kind of checked off. Listen, friends, I get it. Silence of Saturday can be excruciating. The horror of Good Friday can be excruciating. But that doesn't mean that God has deserted you. It doesn't mean he's abandoned you. So maybe you need to take a moment and say, God, yeah, hasn't worked like I thought it would. Some questions I still have. But I'm going to kind of release myself to you and, and realize that darkness isn't the full story. The God in heaven is still faithful. He's still true. As hard as I try to fight against him, as much as I say, I will not believe. I release that and I'll, I recognize that you're in the dark spaces. Maybe for some of you, it's actually hearing the voice of, it is finished. Maybe it's hearing the voice of Mary, 
and you need to transition from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from being separated from God, the one who created you, and being his son and his daughter. Maybe that's the step that you need to take. Or maybe your step is just a fresh awareness that you have a new name. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. God's life is breathed into your soul. You're empowered, you're strengthened to live his life in the world wherever he's placed you. You can have love and joy and peace, not because you struggle hard to do that, but as you trust in Jesus and realize that your life is united to his, his Holy Spirit breathes the life of God into you. So let's take a moment and pray. God, for those who are going through darkness, encourage them, strengthen them, that your plan is not derailed, that often there is the valley of darkness, but the darkness does not mean that you have deserted us. Maybe you want to freshly embrace or newly embrace the one who said it is finished. Maybe you pray a prayer like this, God of heaven, I realize that my life falls short of your glory. Thank you for creating me. I confess that I fall short of who you made me to be. Thank you for the person of Jesus who took on himself the curse of sin and evil and darkness. I trust you that you will make me your son, your daughter, enter the kingdom of light. Maybe your prayer is, God, empower me through the breath of your Holy Spirit to live fully in the truth of my new name, of who I am, to represent you in this world. I'm just going to give you a few minutes or few seconds to quietly in your heart express any of those thoughts to God in your own personal way. God of heaven, here we are. Thank you that you're part of the darkness. Thank you that you give us new names to make us children of light, your sons and daughters. Through the power of your spirit, 
May we live in obedience to the Father in heaven. May the fruit of the Holy Spirit flow into our lives. And may we be your light in this world. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I want you to stand with us and the song that we're about to sing kind of walks us freshly through the journey of Good Friday all the way through Easter Sunday and all the way through when Jesus comes again. So join us in song in that journey.
We sing that in the core of our beings. Thank you that you are alive, that you've conquered death, that you have the victory. Praise be to the God of heaven and earth. Thank you for a resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and everyone who greets it. Amen. 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 Sing hallelujah. One thing, um, we have a little gift for you in the back, some seats. Our prayer team is here to my left, your right. God bless. Happy Easter. Have a wonderful day.